Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to part three of the epic interview that Dominic Grace, Eric Hoffman, and I conducted with famed comics writer-editor Jim Shooter. This time we discussed Shooter's favorite work of his own, the reasons Valiant had a consistent universe, which changed in real time, the death of the new universe, behind-the-scenes stories of Marvel's 1980s financial problems, the birth of Valiant Comics, and the inside story of Shooter's failed bid for Marvel Comics in 1989. This fascinating hour of behind-the-scenes comics history begins right after this ad. That actually provides a good segue to what we wanted to really discuss with them at first, (laughs) which was aesthetics, which was you know, your own personal writing. I mean, many times in most interviews, uh, they talk about the business end of things right. and and so on. But it seems to be your own writing, your own work that you've produced tends to get glossed over. So we did have a few questions to sure. you about, uh, okay. about that. Um, I don't know which one we should start with, but... Go ahead. Um, I guess, uh, is there any one work of yours that you find to be the most personal? And why? Uh, I, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I whatever. This sounds like like a cop out, probably. <laughs> so, but but basically, I find that whatever I'm writing at the time. I mean, I because I, I devote myself to it. I right. research it. And I, it, it, that be, that becomes like the most interesting thing in the world to me. Nothing else, you know. Like if I'm writing Captain America, it, I, it's the greatest character ever invented, and I'm, I'm loving it, and I can't under, understand how any character could compare to it, you know. And then the next week I'm writing Spider-Man, I feel the same way. So I get this immersion in it, you know, and um, and I think that's the only way I can do it. I mean, I, I maybe other people can just sit there and calmly type this stuff, but if I don't, you know. You know, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who, when I'm writing the fight scene, I'll put Flight of the Valkyries on, you know. <laughs> so, you know, just to get the mood going. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess the first seven issues of Harbinger is kind of the mark. Uh, I like that. I thought that was I had, I had good art. I had David Lapham, and at that time he couldn't draw like Neil. I mean, he couldn't couldn't draw that well. But boy, could he tell a story. And boy, could he do the little subtleties and stuff. I'd ask him for an expression or, or an emotion, and, and he could do it. I mean, I, that's one of the things that might do my storytelling lecture. I, I'll show somebody something, and I'll say, cover the balloon, and say, what's this person saying? And if it's Kirby, you know exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, but if it's not Kirby, it's just a face. You know? well, one of the beauties of the first seven inches, Har- Harbinger, really all the way up to and including Unity, that these characters really grow and change, yeah. right? You could really see an arc develop for them that makes them very intriguing characters. Well, one of the things I decided to do at Valiant is I was going to do is kind of the gasoline alley thing, kind of. Okay. Kind of oh, yeah. Keep, you know, I thought like, okay, you know, Marvel, I inherited it. I, there were some things that were not wise to change, and. Uh, uh, and one of those was that the characters kind of existed kind of timelessly, you know. Sure. I mean, Spider-Man it was really, like a sliding scale sort of thing. Yeah, Spider-Man really, you know, had that many battles. He would be 132 years sure. old. 
so you just you kind of like uh, I don't know. We did evolve them slowly. I kept telling people develop them inward. Don't keep you know killing Aunt May and having Jonah Jameson grow you know horns. And, you know just do things that you know that enrich the character as opposed to you know you, you have to move them uh, forward all the time. That's smart. On the other hand, now I'm doing my own company, and I thought I'm going to do the gasoline alley thing. Right? And so there's everything is a date and a time. Everything, uh, you know. I mean, I and I, I said to myself, that there are a couple of characters here. It's really all about their their personal, uh, their own little internal narrative. You know, their their uh, solo. Mm -hmm. Like his his point of view is what makes this interesting to me. And uh, so I'm going to use captions for those, you know, to hit for his thoughts. Um, other than that, I'm not going to use captions. I mean, there were a couple of cases. I guess I, I sort of had to, but uh, very few. I mean, I, I I just kept the captions down to where are we, what time is it, you know, what day is it. And uh, with uh, I don't I can't even think of an exception. I hope there, I hope there isn't an exception. But at any rate, I mean, like I wanted to do that, and therefore. In Valiant, it was proper for the characters to keep evolving at, at what I considered a, a normal pace. Um, uh, I like that. I thought that was good. You, you introduced real time with New Universe, correct? Yes. Right. I tried to do it there. That was too hard. With New Universe was a disaster. I mean, it was it was dead on the ground uh, when it started um, because. Uh, Another one of those deals where called upstairs to a meeting, you got the Nancy Allen promotions, the licensing people, other executive types, and the discussion was, what are we going to do for our, our 25th anniversary? <coughs> and they're like, well, Jim, you know. <laughs> and uh, one of the first things I said is, well, you know, I have talked about this big bang thing, and DC doesn't want to do it, but we could. And the circulation people lost their minds. They said, "We got something that's selling gangbusters for 70 percent of the market, and you want to stop it and start over?" You know. So they got shouted down. I said, "No, it's not as important for us as it is for DC." I said, well, "You know, we're okay." You know. I said, "Well, why don't we make a new universe, create another one, you know, celebrate the birth of this one by giving birth to another one?" And they liked that. And so I had a, a, a pretty big budget. I think I had a. $120,000 to develop it, just to develop characters. And I had, um, we were going to guarantee royalties, because why would somebody like Walt leave Thor and do something in the universe where he knows he's going to get royalties from Thor mm -hmm. and not sure on a new book what's going to happen? So we're going to guarantee royalties, a big promotion budget. We, you know, we they were going to put money into it, because we were making something. It was amazing. So, uh, uh, so fine. So we start on it, and then not too long after that, that's when they made the move to start selling the company. Yeah. And I get called upstairs, and, and uh, my budget's cut badly. And then a, a week later, I'm called upstairs again, and my budget is eliminated. Right. And I said, you mean you don't want to do this? And they said, no, you, you have to do it. You have to do it with staff people. So if you look on a lot of the New Universe stuff, it's assistant editors, yeah. Archie Goodwin, yeah. and me. Or some newcomers, yeah. You know, right. and then 
and then the only time, and, and new artists you never heard of. Some of whom turned out to be Will Sportaccio, some and, and Mark Dickshare, and and and, uh, and other guys. But uh, and then and then uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was a sinking ship. Everybody knew it. It was all part of the the company's uh, plan to make marble look more profitable than it was, so that it could sell it down. No, it was no. it was started out being a legitimate. Let's do something for our twenty fifth anniversary. No, I meant I meant your budget being slashed. Oh, the budget yeah. being slashed is when you're going to sell a company. Right. Every penny on the bottom line, you get a multiple. Multiple, right? So so all of a sudden they're counting paper clips every night. Right. You know, it went from let's spend money and build something else great that makes lots of money, and then it went to let's not spend a dime. Right. You know, because we want to protect that bottom line. We've got a lot of money coming in. Let's not spend any. Another story to go with that, but 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 the thing is, um, so basically, I still had to do it, but I had to do it on a shoestring. I did it with volunteers, and and then and then uh, uh, new artists, guys we couldn't, you know, who did, it was their first work. Uh, the only different, the only thing is that uh, I was doing this character called the Star Brain. Archie gave me that name. Um, I did the rest, but. Uh, uh, so I, I, I'm writing the plots for this, and John Romita Jr., I think was doing Iron Man, comes in and he says, I want to draw your book. And I said, you're going to, you know, it's a, you don't want to do this. You're making good money, stay where you are. And uh, he said, no, I want to draw your book. And I said, you're out of your mind. And he said, it's, you know, give me a plot. <laughs> so, so later that day, I get a call from Al Williams. He says, I want to ink John on your book. And I said, you guys are nuts. You guys are just nuts. And he said, no, I want to get John on you. And I said, OK. So I had great art. I had John Romita yeah. Jr. and Williams. The two of them together. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was, God, it turned out to be a good combination. Yeah. I mean, that, man. So anyway, they, they came to my rescue a little bit. A lot of people thought that I just sort of pulled rank and used my authority to get these artists. No, volunteers. By common acclaim, and my opinion too, is that uh, the best or one of the best of the new universe titles. And one of the reasons is that it just felt like it was a very personal project for you. Maybe it was one of the few ideas that you had for the new universe line that actually ended up kind of becoming delivered in the form that you were hoping Yeah, there were a few yeah. contemporary views that were very, very, um, that were very positive. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it wasn't everything a, I do, I give it my best shot. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, I was doing my best, I, and, and I had good people to work with, and you know I, I didn't have to tell John establish the room. Yeah, <laughs> he he knew what to do, and and uh, so anyway, yeah. I, but but the thing is, I mean, like when that stuff started coming in, and I'm looking at it, and it's amateur art, and the writing is by assistant editors, and yeah. I think why we're dead, we're just so dead. But the thing is, at that time, not only were they starting to sell the company. Um, and therefore got cheap on it. But the other thing is, they got cheap on everything. They, uh, they eliminated the, uh, they cashed out everybody out of a pension plan, no more right. pension plan. They, they stopped the 401k program where they put in matching money. They, they changed the insurance to this, uh, we had decent insurance before, we were self-insured. They changed it to some crummy HMO and it, it just was terrible. And they, uh, uh, just in general, um, just were being as cheap as they could every place they could. They're basically, you know, 
selling the people down the river. And, and it just, when you're in a situation like I was the vice president, I could, you know, I could, uh, I would have made a lot of money. And, uh, but when you're in that situation, you have two choices. You can either help them sell your troops down the river, or you can become a labor leader. <laughs> and I became a labor leader. And, uh, I mean, this will good. At one point, um, Galton and Kaplan and Calamari called into this meeting, and they've decided that they're going to stop paying royalties like that month. That means that nine months of work that have been done by people who think they're getting royalties, they're not getting it. So I, I just, it just got ugly. I mean, I was starting, it got heated. He threatened a class action I lawsuit. He threatened a class action lawsuit. I said, I walk out of here, go to the lawyer. You know, we're going to have a, we're all going to sue you. <laughs> and uh, so they, they caved on that. That's, that's one of the few fights I won. But the, and he, P.S., then that meant they didn't like me very much. You know, so, and then downstairs, they did everything they could to undercut me. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to give somebody a raise, no. If somebody hated me, I'd give them a raise. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Carol Kalish starts becoming very important. Because to them, it's like, they didn't know anything about the comics. They had to rely on me for that. She seemed to know comics pretty well. So all of a sudden, she becomes the fair-haired child, you know. One time, Joe Calamari, uh, he, he was telling me, he's here an idiot. He's, he should just, you know, play along, you know. What do you care, you know? I said, I can't do that. And he said, well, you're lucky. He said, he said, uh, he said, we, we would have fired you a long time ago. He said, but he said, you're the only guy who could tell us who could replace you. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, yeah, I don't care. But uh, so anyway, between starting to rely more on Carol Kalish's uh, points of view, and, and and then they got to Falco, and they figured, well, he's been working with Jim for a long time, and he probably can do it. And so, you know, when, when, it, when it got, actually the thing is, I threatened to leave before the sale was complete. And they, uh, uh, they, uh, Galton talked me into staying. And I, one thing I'll say about Galton is, is up until then, he had, I didn't, he didn't ever look at the comics. He, he in many ways, he was kind of, you know, cold-hearted businessman type. Uh, on the other hand, he had, Kind of not been dishonorable. He, he, you know, it's like he, he hadn't uh, been. Uh, I mean, I was. He, I, I always felt like I sort of trusted him, you know. And uh, so I, I actually went to. I, I quit, you know. And he talked me into staying. He's, you know, and, you know, as soon as as soon as this deal is done, I said, I said, you're screwing Walt. You're not paying him his foreign royalties. You're screwing everybody else. It's just Walt's the only one I know about so far. You know, you, 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 uh, uh, we owe money to John Romita Jr. and to Roger Stern for the Hobgoblin, which, you know, Mattel did a toy, and now we owe them $40,000, and you're not paying them. And I'm in the position, if I go to Walt and I say, the reason you're not getting your foreign royalties is because Marvel's decided they're not paying it, then he quits and goes to DC, and oh, look, Jim Shooter drove talent away, mm -hmm. you know? So I kept telling Walt, I'm, I'm on the case, I'm trying, I'm working, you know. And, oh yeah, it's just some confusion upstairs, Walt, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get on it. You know, and, and I, so I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place. So now Walt is thinking like, what a jerk this guy is, you know. And, and uh, 
uh, you know, I can, can't, can't get anywhere up there, and, and they're, they're at that point trying to get rid of me. Um, so, uh, so, but he, he says, just stay with me until we complete this sale, which would be like at the end of the year. And so, I, and he said, I swear to you, he said, as soon as this sale is done and we're safe, he said, we'll, we'll pay these guys, we'll, we'll take care of all this stuff, you know, we'll, we'll make it right. I said, all right. Well, like I said, he hadn't just actively lied to me before. Mm -hmm. And I, I will quote what he said. On the day that the sale was completed, I went to his office and I said, I said, well, you know, I said, time to start, you know, taking care of this stuff. And he said, fuck you. Huh. And that's a quote. And I said, uh, oh. So I went downstairs and I started to write my little memo to, to the personality to, to say I quit. And then I thought, eh. Instead, I wrote a letter to the to the people who bought it, <laughs> and I, I I blew the whistle on all these people. And uh, oh, we went through another ugly month or two, you know. Um, and Bob Ramey, he actually looked into it, and uh, uh, he uh, uh, when they did fire me finally, uh, he had me fly out to California to meet with him. So I. I Went to his office and met with him, and uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, I looked into it. He said everything you said was true. He said these people are, are either stupid or evil or both, <laughs> and they're corrupt as hell. And you know, he said, but this is my choice. I just I have a, a company that's a publicly traded company here, and I just bought this company. Mm -hmm. So if then I fire all of them on the, on the grounds that they're no good, how stupid am I? You know, he said, it's easier to fire you. He said, well, we'll get rid of them eventually. He said, but, you know, get rid of you and keep them for the moment until we can do it, you know, gracefully. And I said, okay, well, that's, and he said, but, he said, you know, how, the way this works in Hollywood, he says, whenever somebody like you uh, has to leave, he said, what we do is we set you up in your own little company, and then we have a distribution deal with you, like, you know, set you up in a little independent film company, and, and, and then you, you create films and they distribute it through us and everybody makes money. He said, what we're going to do is we're going to set you up in an office, give you a staff, um, you know, uh, give you a budget, uh, you make comics, Marvel will distribute them, and everybody wins. And I said, okay. So I went back and the thing is, I, I had gotten Galton and everybody, and when I blew the whistle on them, uh, they got Galton and Calamari and those guys. Uh, they just dug their heels in and they said, we don't want this, you know, and, and they, they managed to kill it. And so, yeah, so that was that. Was that. The other thing I want to tell you is like, uh, right there, around the time that Marvel was, they decided they're going to go ahead and try to sell it. Uh, the, for some reason, I, I don't know what, remember why, but I met this guy named uh, Mercer Mayer, Meyer? Mercer, the artist? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Mercer Mayer. The kid's artist, yeah. Yeah, he does, he does the little critter. Yeah. Little yeah. Critter. So anyway, uh, he also is a software guy. He owned a company called AngelSoft. And uh, uh, so anyway, I was, I, for some reason I met him. I have no idea. Um, uh, I think maybe Marvel Books was going to try to get him to do something. Or something. Mm -hmm. I don't was know. it Golden Books? He, his stuff went out through Golden Books, but yeah. Marvel Books, which is... Uh, Didn't you end up do some, doing a couple books for Golden Books? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that had nothing to do. With it had nothing to do with that. Okay. But but uh, so I um, I met this guy, a nice guy, and, and I was at the uh, ABA, and he had a booth, and I was walking around, and um, 
and there he is. And he had one of those deals where they got a TV camera filming people as, as they walk by, right. and then they can see themselves on TV. Yeah. This was like, you know, how, how long ago was it that this was a yeah. cool thing? <laughs> right. It's like, so, so I'm walking by, and I'm looking at myself on the TV, look at the camera, look at myself. And he said, what do you, what's wrong with you? I said, it's taking a picture of me. He said, no shit. <laughs> I said, it's color separated. You see? You see, it takes a picture and it makes it into little dots. And he said, yeah, so? I said, why can't we do that with comics? I said, why don't we take, a, take the art, have a camera like that, and instead of it being on a TV screen, have it make, make film. And uh, I said, you have to obviously go from, you know, to RGB, from uh, the, you know, the light to the, to the pigments. And um, I said, but uh, I said, that could be done. And I said, that's math, you know? And he's like, crazy, it can't be done. And I said, you're the, you're the software expert. Two weeks later, he called me. He says, I can do that. <laughs> I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you got to come up here. He said, I'm going to show you this. So Mike Hobson and I went up to his place. He's up in Connecticut someplace. And we go in there, and he's got all these blackboards and charts and pads and stuff, and things that said frame buffer on them, input and blah, 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 line of type, blah. And he says, I can do this. He said, I don't even have to invent anything. He said, he said, you know, I've got to do a little software. He said, but, but he's basically, it's all the equipment exists. He said, it's just a matter of sticking it together. And uh, I said, well, what would the cost per page be? Because at that time, I can't remember what our separation, our, our camera separation costs were in the hundreds of dollars. Our, our regular page uh, costs uh, hundred, you know, seventy-five, I don't know, something like that. <clears throat> he said, cost of the film, cost of the electricity, and, you know, somebody to watch the machine. I said, so you're talking like we could do, we could color separate our books for like $1,000 a year. He said, you know, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know? And I said, great. So, so uh, we went back and, and we talked to Galton. This is just before we, they decided to start selling the company. And we were ready to commit to buy that equipment and be partners with him doing color separation only for ourselves, but to do it for other people charge them enough to make money for it. And um, it, it was going to take $300,000, which for Marvel, easy check, no problem. So, so we decided to do that. And then when they decided to sell the company, they thought, why are we investing in the future of a company we're not going to be in? Yeah. And so what they did, I got called into another meeting, and, and I was told that what they were going to do was they were going to turn the project over to World Color Press. You know, let them do it. So they did that. They turned it over to World Color Press. And uh, uh, I remember there was a meeting in Danny Crespi's office. The World Color uh, uh, Press people came. Was Bob somebody from World Color Press? I can't think of it. Um, and Ed Whitbread, who ran the uh, uh, chemical color plate uh, separation operation, hand separation operation up in Connecticut. I mean, he was, they, they, when they were explaining all this to him, he was crying because he thought it was the end of his career. He thought it's over, right? So, anyway, they took over. I think mean, Mercer dropped out. They took over. But that's when they ended up opening up that place in St. Louis, in Missouri. 
where they did, and they, they didn't do it the way I wanted. They started doing these, these uh, polygon shapes and filling them. They did it differently, but they did shift from the hand separation to, to a computer type separation. And, uh, and then um, uh, the, uh, there was a, a company in Ireland that did it too. And then the advances in scanning equipment over the course of a few years made the whole idea of doing my, you know, the, the Mercer-Meyer idea that it, it became obsolete. So, but basically, yeah. Uh, they, uh, 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 but the, again, we, we were going to uh, do that, and that just all blew up and, and was turned over to uh, World Color and, and its own way. Interesting. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of history. Yeah. Well, shortly before you left Marvel, you had a fateful meeting with Steve Pisarski. It changed your next few years. I didn't know. I was after. Who was after? Yeah. I thought I, I had read that you would. You've been talking about a deal before that. No. Okay. No, what, what happened was, uh, um, you know, Galton hated me. <laughs> Calamari didn't like me. Kaplan liked me, but realized that I was not persona non grata. Um, uh, but the people who, who didn't stop thinking I was great were the licensing people, because I kept making them all these deals. And kept coming. They would take me to all these meetings, and I would sell this thing, you know, because they didn't. They didn't know. They didn't know I'm wonderful. Um, so, uh, so they liked me, and uh, uh, so around the time I was leaving, or well, I was when I was about to be fired, um, that's when Masarski, who had been a uh, who had been a road manager for the Allman Brothers, done. He was a lawyer too. He did legal work for them. He did legal work for uh, uh, Bob Marley and his kid, and he did uh, uh, Aerosmith and Cindy Lauper. Yeah, Cindy Lauper. Well, Cindy, that's, that's an interesting story. He, he got screwed there because he deserved it. But, she deserved it? He deserved it. Oh, he deserved it. Okay. Yeah, she, I mean, he basically, I mean, they were an item, actually. He was dating. Oh. And, uh, and he was also, I mean, he saw her in, I think, the Black Cat Club or something, performing with, the, with her, her, her group, which was like Blue Angel or something, Blue something. Anyway, uh, uh, he said, this, this girl, so I can get, her, I can get her a recording contract. So he was working on that, and then they were being, being I guess, somewhat romantic. And uh, there's, I, I was his apartment one time, and there was a picture of them, you know, like uh, on the beach, you know, kind of cuddling around and stuff. And, um, you know, so anyway, so he was doing all this work to try to get her this, this uh, recording contract. And being Masarsky, he was billing her for it. <laughs> and, uh, and so she ended up owing him some hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what it was going to happen is she was going to get this recording deal, and, and then he was going to, you know, end up, yeah. up getting paid a lot. Right. And uh, and her Blue Angel, I think, was the name of it. But anyway, so her group too was was all, uh, you know, he was doing legal work for for all of them. And uh, so anyway, uh, I guess she got tired of him, and she met some other guy who was a, an entertainment lawyer or an agent, and uh, so drops him like a hot potato. All on the same day, she and the entire band declared bankruptcy. Okay, to avoid paying him, 
within you know a very short time, she and her new agent buddy, whoever it was, have signed a, a big time record deal, recording deal, and so he just got, you know, he got he got uh, got shafted, but like I said, it kind of teed it, teed it up for himself. But anyway, so he signs this deal with Marvel. He, having been the roadshow manager and stuff like that, he thought, why don't I, you know, do a touring show? The first thing he wanted to do was Cabbage Patch. He couldn't get those rights. So then he's looking for something he can get the rights to. He had a partner, he made a company called TM Productions, a shell company, and he had a partner who uh, had this little tiny company and wasn't doing well. They made smoke alarms, and then all of a sudden the law changes, and everybody has to have a smoke alarm. And all of a sudden, this guy's stupid rich. <laughs> so, so they, his friend, sort of T, I guess, because TM Productions, something in the Sars Productions. Um, anyway, so so he uh, he, uh, he had some money from from this guy, went to Marvel, and he wanted to get the live action rights for a, a, an arena show that he would take around the country. Uh, for Marvel characters, and was stupefied when they offered all Marvel characters, all, two years, $25,000. He said, oh, that's a lot, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so anyway, while he was talking to them, he, 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 he was talking to licensing people, he was saying, yeah, but he's, he's you know, I can't just like find some writer. I gotta have somebody who knows the characters, right? He said, "Do you have anybody I could, you know, use?" And the licensing people told him, and I've heard this both from him and from them. They said, "Is it get Jim to do it? You know, he, he'll uh, if he does it, it's all, it's like automatically approved. It, it, it'll be great. You'll you'll you know, you can't go wrong." He said, "We have this. He's, a, he's our editor. He's, he's a genius. It's gonna be great." So. Uh, uh, wasn't, but that's what they said. So, so sure enough, he comes in and he signs the deal, and he says, "Now I'd like to meet this Jim Shooter guy." And they said, "Oh, we fired him yesterday." <laughs> what? They said, "But still, go get him because he'll he'll do a good job for you, and he, and guarantee if he does it, it'll be it'll be right. There won't be any approval problems. It'll be okay." And uh, so he, he, he did. so I guess it was a month or so before this all happened, but he, he called me up and asked me if I could write an, an arena show. And I said, uh, I don't know, I've never actually seen an arena show. You know? So he paid for me to go see uh, Thundercats, which also had in it Gumby and Pokey. And they're all on roller skates. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, it was the stupidest thing I ever saw. <laughs> I'm like, what? And P.S. All the kids, the parents are there. They're bored to tears. They bring their kids. The kids want to buy the Thunder uh, Thundercats swords at the concession stand. So kids have their backs to the show. They're fighting with the swords. You know, they're playing. <laughs> nobody is watching this except me. I'm like suffering through this. And I saw. So I called him. I said, I can't do this. I said, I, I couldn't do this on the worst day of my life. <laughs> and he said, Well, why not? It's stupid. He's, you know, he's, yeah, I know. He's, a lot of these are like Bugs Bunny jumping up and down on a trampoline to the tune of Beat It. He said, I don't want to do that. I want to do The Wizard of Oz, you know, only with Marvel characters. Well, something like that. I said, well, all right, well, now you're talking. So he paid me $25,000 for it, and I wrote a script called Spider-Man and the Night of Doom. And 
this took some months, of course. And then I, uh, then he takes it to Marvel for approval, and it's, it is rejected. And uh, because you ever they, think of adopting the licensing <laughs> people, licensing people took it downstairs and gave it to Tom DeFalco to review. DeFalco rejects it because your name was attached. Because my name was attached. Yeah. Because because at first when I got fired. Uh, and they gave DeValco the job. I mean, for two weeks he was calling me every day, asking me what to do, telling me he felt funny because he felt like he was sitting in my chair and it was really my job. He wasn't up to it and this and that. And then, uh, uh, and I'm like, it's okay, you know, just just do what you do, you'll, you'll be fine, you know, if you have a question, call me out, you know, whatever. And uh, so then uh, one day uh, I get a call um, from Stan. And Stan is like, you know, it was like all tragic, and you're the best we ever had, and, you know, I'm so sorry that it happened, and I don't know. And I said, well, you know, it's all to do with the sale of the company. I said, you know, nothing, nothing much could be done about it. Ten minutes later, DeFalco calls me. He said, oh my God, I just got this call from Stan. He's telling me, I'll, I'm sure I'm going to do such a great job, and he's always thought I was terrific, and, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh. Never got another call from Tom. Because mm -hmm. then he, yeah, I'm the editor-in-chief, god damn it. So anyway, when I did this this thing, I don't know why he suddenly had this, okay, fine, you're editor-in-chief, why are you mad at me? You know? So he rejects it. So Masarski asks if we can have a meeting. So that's Masarski, me, the Falco, Gruenwald, who was sort of the encyclopedic guy, and the licensing uh, guy. Name escapes me at the moment. But at any rate, Mackenzie. Yeah, anyway. Um, uh, so we're sitting there, and I, I, Ms. Arcee says, Well, walk us through this. Tell us, what, tell us what you don't like. And so he starts talking about things that have to do with, like, stagecraft and, and have to do. And, and Ms. Arcee says, Wait, look, look, look. That's not for you. You tell us about the, you know, what are your objections are to Marvel characters? How are use of Marvel characters? He says, he says, you're not going to tell me you you know more than the director I'm going to hire about how this is staged, <laughs> you know, and 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 so, so then he's like looking for things, and he says, well, these characters aren't introduced, and he says, well, I said like who? And he names a character, and I say page 16. Oh, well, what about this one? Page 26, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, what the hell's wrong with you? So finally, he comes to this thing, and, and he says, he says, this, this, this character says that Spider-Man, he saw Spider-Man pick up a bus once. He says, Spider-Man can't pick up a bus. I said, first of all, it's a civilian talking, okay? So maybe they're exaggerating. Second, have you ever looked at the Spider-Man Sunday strip? <laughs> Upon which Spider-Man has been picking up a bus for the last 15 years? In the, in, the, in the lead panel? Yeah. He said, well, I don't care. He still can't pick up a bus. He said, I'll change it to car. Is that all right? Car? Is that good? Fine. So anyway, Mackenzie says, you know, this meeting's over. And we walk out. We go to his office. He signs the approval. And he says, I'm never going to show anything to that asshole again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, fine. And then, you know, a couple guys, like Salakrup and, and others, they call me up and ask me if I'd do some work. And then eventually, uh, uh, I was just told I was, wasn't walking there. So, uh, I did one story for Salakut. It was a film in Spider-Man. 
so I, you know, I really, uh, I managed to burn my bridges there pretty good. Yeah. So, looking back on it, with hindsight, did anything you do differently in the last couple of years at Marvel? No, I don't wish I was smarter. I wish I was faster. I wish I, you know, I, you know, I wish I'd done better than I did, but I, I did the best I could. You know, and I, I, at each point along the way, I, you know, I, I, I tried to do the right thing, and uh, uh, you know, and, and sometimes doing the right thing wasn't very popular with the people upstairs, and, and then they managed to make me unpopular with the people downstairs. I got to the end, of, toward the end, the last couple of months, I, I was so busy fighting with them and so busy trying to do things that I had to do and going on these licensing trips and all this stuff like that that I. I I just got out of touch with what was going on on my own floor. Like, I had 75 people working for me. And so, right towards the end, I remember walking around and I'm looking at offices, and there are people I don't know. I said, Who are you? I'm the new editor. Oh. I mean, they just cut me out of it. They just started hiring people that I. Bob Harris has suddenly promoted to some something or other. All this stuff's going on. I'm basically, they just. Squeeze me. So by the time I was fired, I, I, I didn't even know some of the people who worked there. Is that part of why it was so important to you to have a cohesive group when you were at Valiant with the Nabro? It wasn't just in a big open space? No. It was, it was important to me to earn a living. That's, okay. you know, and I just went about it the best way I could. Uh, the open space just kind of happened. Okay. You know, I mean, we, we rented this, this kind of loft space, kind of like. 60 by 40, and uh, uh, I liked it. I mean, I liked the idea that you know we could sh shout out. I, I'd, I'd say, "Need a name for a girl, Shaniqua." All right, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, and uh, I didn't want to use Shaniqua, but the artist who gave it to him was his daughter's name, so couldn't say, "Nah, that's no good." <laughs> there was a. Um 1994 Wizard Magazine article, and Masarski's quoted in that as saying that uh, in reality that we will quote in reality we were never in the final bidding to purchase Marvel in 1989. Can you share your side of the story of that bid? Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean he's lying. Okay. The thing is, the thing is, uh, when I when I got out of Marvel, thrown out of Marvel, I still kind of kept track of it in the, in the newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, and, and I was like one of the only guys, I think, probably the only creative guy in comics who ever read the Wall Street Journal. Um, but I, I still keep track of it, and, and I also I knew a lot about what what had gone on there. New World Pictures, which had become New World Entertainment, they this is back in the junk bond era. They had, they had raised 360 some million dollars in, in uh, high interest junk bond money. Mm -hmm. And then they went out and started buying stuff, including Marvel. And uh, most of what they bought just turned into disasters. And so, and Marvel actually went from up where I had it, it went down a little bit. It wasn't doing so well for a little while there. Not ter terrible, it was making money. It just, you know, they, they, they kind of. Long, fell off the top there a little bit. Well, so I'm keeping track of this, and I realize that New World is losing a million dollars a day. That means they've got not that much life left before they're just broke. 
not Marvel, Newell. And so, uh, um, so I talked to a friend of mine who's knowledgeable about this sort of thing, and he said, you should talk to Jim Custer, that's a friend of mine who works at Chase. I said, okay, so I talked to him. And uh, uh, off, off after work, I mean, it was a little private meeting. Um, and uh, he said, he said, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it's, it would be possible to put together a bid. And I think that it is possible that Chase might be interested in helping. I said, all right. So I thought about it, and I talked to my, my friend Clark, who was knowledgeable. And so I decided, I got a high school education. I'm going to walk in there and tell him, you know, I'm going to, you know, buy this company. You know, I thought I better have some support troops. So I knew Masarsky from the from the arena show thing. I'll tell you the end of that in a minute. I knew Masarsky from the arena show thing. And up until that point, I thought he was an honorable guy. I mean, the way the way he told the Cindy Lauper story, he kind of left out, right? you know, parts. <laughs> As people tend to Yeah, and, and it, 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 it sounded like he was the victim. Um, his first gig for the Allman Brothers was organizing their Native American charities, which turned out to be a bust because donate money to, to Native Americans and it all goes to the chief. Um, uh, he, you know, I mean, he t told me his various adventures and he seemed very genuine. And I met some of his friends in which trucks would come in and, and uh, you know, uh, other, other, JMO, uh, who else? You know, we went backstage and uh, on an Aerosmith uh, concert together. Everybody seemed to know him. But, you know, and the, I thought he, thought he was an okay guy, you know. And, and uh, um, so, uh, so I asked him, I said, are you interested in making a run at uh, Marvel? And he said, well, we have to get a financial guy. I said, yeah, that's the next on my list, you know. And so my friend Clark introduced me to his uncle, who was a senior financial officer at Time, Inc. Winston Folks, and uh, he'd just retired, taken an early retirement and gave a nice package and stuff. So we became the Marvel Acquisition Partners, and uh, so we uh, uh, went and met with Chase, and sure enough, Chase agreed to be our, our, our financial advisor and our, our lending partner, our debt partner. Great. And uh, um, then we, we needed an equity partner. So, long story there, we went through a number of tries with this one and that one that didn't work out. And we meet, we think we have a deal, maybe then they, they say something that was unacceptable to us. And so anyway, um, uh, long story short on that, there's a lot of stories to do with that, but, but uh, we ended up with a company called Shankman Capital, which their previous biggest thing was they bought Danskin. And uh, it was kind of an 11th hour deal. We finally found somebody who was willing to go in with us. Um, so, all right. Uh, uh, Chase had a problem because they were also doing business with Perlman. So they had to do what they call a Chinese wall, keeping those guys over here and us guys over here. And uh, at first, we made an offer, and we were told not for sale. And the Chase guys are like, you know, Chinese wall in my ass, wink, wink, not just for sale. And uh, so, uh, uh, so we persisted, and then we were told that they were going to have an auction. Okay, so fine, uh, we uh, pursued it with Chase. I, I was actually, I, I was, uh, I was told that uh, this was a big enough deal that I had to uh, 
get the approval of Tom Reichenheiser, who was the head of media and entertainment for Chase. So I'm summoned to this lunch, this big round table. And um, so uh, there's Reifenheiser and the bankers we've been working with, and Winston was there with me, Tom Masarski. And uh, I don't know, there was eight of us somehow. And I, I go in, and I was like hoping that Winston would sit next to <laughs> Reifenheiser, right? And Winston's like, no, show honor. Okay, so I sat beside Reifenheiser. So we're having lunch, you know? And he, he's talking about the Yankees and the Mets and where you're from, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, go Steelers, huh? You know? <laughs> and, and so we're just talking and, and stuff, and how'd you get into this? And, you know, um, and, uh, and he's asking me about the Marvel and the studio and, you know, what were they thinking with that, or, you know? And I'm, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm talking to him, and then all of a sudden, lunch is over, and then everybody gets up, and we're walking out, and we get to the elevator lobby. He's going up, we're going down, and he sticks out his hand. <coughs> he says, "You can count on our support." That meant seventy-five million dollars. <laughs> seventy-five million dollar handshake. And so. I'm just so he out, gets, right? he gets, yeah, he gets in the, in the elevator. He goes up, and I said, Winston, watch it, shut up, shut up, shut up. So I shut up. Said, Don't say anything until we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, it could be what? We don't know. So anyway, we get out. And we're outside the building. We're far away from the building. He says, he says, feel your calluses. <laughs> uh, you know the Disney story. Uh, no, I'm not Okay, Walt Disney went to Bank of America to borrow the money for Disney. Oh, Bank. yes, yes. I, okay, and I the guy this one. Right. felt his calluses. Right. From where he held the pen. Uh huh. And that's why he, <laughs> that's why he gave him the. Checking his bona fides. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, How? And he said, he said, he said Without even you realizing it, he had you explaining animation, animation accounting, production, editorial, licensing. He said, he's, you pretty much ex explained everything to him, you know, uh, marketing, uh, promotions. Uh, and and uh, P.S., I learned a lot of that from Mort, because when I worked for Mort, he was always, I'd, just, I'd go up to the office a lot, and, and he, would, he would teach me things. And, and a lot of things he taught me, I thought, why is he teaching me about how, to, how he licensed the Broadway musical? Why is he telling me about, you know, uh, uh, merchandising? Why, you know? You know, we've been arguing more than everything. <laughs> yeah. But he was, he was kind of, kind of grooming me to be like him, to come into the, you know, to, to the organization someday and do what he did. And uh, I didn't know that. I just knew I was writing comics, you know. Well, anyway, so I was pretty well qualified to explain all this stuff. And he said, I heard you explaining animation to uh, Lisa Reifner. He said, Reifner knows more about animation than you ever will in your life. But he wanted to see what you knew. <laughs> so he's pretending he doesn't know anything. Explain it to me, you know. And I said, I didn't even realize he was doing it. I just, you know, I said, boy, he's smooth. <laughs> so anyway, we then we had them. We eventually got Shankman Capital, kind of at the last minute. Went through a couple things that were not good in the middle, middle. Uh, and we put in a bid. Uh, our bid was uh, eighty-one million dollars. There were nine bidders, except that eight of them dropped out. We were the only bidder. The reason I know that they dropped out is because every one of them called me because they all they didn't have management and they all called me. And so when they couldn't get me, 
<laughs> they dropped out. All of them. Odyssey Partners, uh, Paul Burton Pincus, uh, lots of them. I don't know. I don't know if this all together. We were the only bit. And so we won. And the, uh, Winston and I and, Sh and the, the Shankman guy went and we, had, we signed a letter with him that, that bound us, but it had an out for them. And so for a week we thought, we won. And then one morning Winston calls me up and says, have you read the journal? I said, no, not yet. They just woke me up. And he said, Perlman bought, bought Marvel. I said, how, how can that be? I said, well, he was an insider at the selling company, you know, 20% of New World. And in order for him to buy it, he needed an arm's length bid, which we provided. And so, so, you know, he, he, they, Sarsky's talking about, they never really intended to sell yeah. No, they just wanted to price it. They needed a stocking yeah. mm -hmm. So we went through the whole auction. It wasn't like, you know. Which is why they beat you by like a million and a half dollars or something. Well, there's it was, a story yeah, there. Million, million. It, they, they, they paid $82.5 million. However, as part of the deal, Perlman was holding $12 million worth of uh, worthless paper. From, from New World, that was redeemed at face value. So we actually paid 70. And uh, on top of that, he borrowed 75. So he actually put $5 million in his pocket and That's had horrible right. comments. That's right. I told that that fits his entire monosaccharide once he bought Marvel. Yeah. And started acquiring all the other companies. And I know some of this stuff yeah. because shortly after that, Bill Bevins, his CEO, interviewed me to be manager and uh, to come in as president. And um, uh, we were talking about it, and uh, I said, I said, you know, a lot of people there don't like me. I said, so that might, you know, that you might want to consider that. And he said, he said, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he said, you're the editor in chief, right? I said, yeah. He said, he said, if they didn't like you, that means you were doing your job. <laughs> yeah. He said, because you got to tell these guys no sometimes, yeah. and they don't like to hear that word. And, and I said, I said, yeah, well. He said, what would happen if you, he's not, not talking about the downstairs anymore, what, what would happen if you walked in there as a, as a president? And I said, well, I said, some of them would leave, they would jump out the window, and some would just run, and some I'd fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you this, and this is a quote, he said, if all of the Marvel executive staff drowned in the East River today, it would be a month before anybody missed them. He said, this is the worst collection of losers I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. He said, however, we're going to go public. And if we start with a bloodbath, <laughs> he said, that, that doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. Same thing that Ramey told me, more yeah. or less. Right. And, uh, and I said, well, he said, but maybe down the road. I said, okay. You know, he said, this is what we're going to do. Is, he said, we're getting rid of all these people. He said, we're going to filter in our own people. He said, Ramey said, exactly the same thing. It must be a MO, you know? So, uh, and they did. I mean, eventually they got rid of Golden, they were in Terry Stewart. Barry Kaplan, in the first uh, couple weeks, I was, I, I used to run into him on my way to Valiant. It wasn't the first couple weeks, but I mean, when I was on my way to Valiant, I'd run into him because he would come from the path train. And, um, uh, I mean, he was like, oh, these are great. This is terrific. You know, they gave me $3 million and they, you know, uh, they're, they're, I'm, I, you know, doing all this great stuff. And, and then one day I, I meet him, and he's like, just looks all like shell-shocked. I said, what happened? And he said, I, I went in to work yesterday. He said, my passcodes didn't work. My uh, my office, there was someone, they are putting someone else in my office. I was moved to this little room. I knew exactly which room. I was right beside where the lawyer was. 
he said, I, I can't even get into this computer system. I can't, I don't have a job. He said, I have a contract for another year. He said, but I don't have a job. I said, oh, hmm. Well, you know, didn't want to say I wasn't surprised, but I wasn't. So, uh, so to Barry's credit, he made himself a job. He, he realized that kind of no one was taking care of the custom comics. And so he started doing that. He started hunting down custom comics deals and, and uh, hustled his butt and got them some deals and did business for them. Then his contract expired and they got rid of him. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's they actually did. They filtered their people in, they got rid of the Deadwood, and, uh, you know, they, uh, mission accomplished, I guess. I ran into Terry Stewart in Frankfurt. He was the new president. I ran into Frankfurt. Oh, this is, I guess I was a guy at that time. And uh, this is the the first one year he did. He did uh, uh, started Spider-Man over from number one. Yes. Tom and Nineteen ninety. And the next year they did X Factor or X Men and X Force or X X Factor. Yeah, X Men sold eight point one million copies. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I ran into him there. He was busy flirting with Heike, who was a girl who worked in my, my friend Wolfgang's booth. <laughs> He was kind of annoyed when I interrupted him, and, and uh, then he saw my name tag. He said, hey, get your shooter. I said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, oh, great. I always wanted to talk to you. He said, fine. So we're talking, and he says, I feel like I won the lottery two years in a row. He said, first with uh, Spider-Man last, last year. He said, now, you know, this year with the X-Books. X he said, well, you're supposed to be the big comics guru. Now what do we do? And I said, punt, because you got nothing left. I said, mm -hmm. you've, you've now pulled all the easy triggers. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, you can do small, you can you get small bumps like that, but, but I said, you, you used up the big ones. I said, the only thing you can do is you've got to create something. I said, frankly, you don't have the horsepower. <laughs> because I said, you lost all of your good creators. I said, you have like systematically driven away. Well, Claremont, uh, Byrne was gone, Stern, Michelini. The Simonsons. I mean, everybody who was any good was likely to create some Hama. Anybody who was any good uh, was there, weren't there anymore. Then they lost the young creators too. The and, then, and then the image yeah. guys left. Right. So anyway, so he said, he said "Well, I got that." Because before the image guys, so he said, "Well, I got that covered. I, I've got uh, um, Stan is creating something." I said, um, you know, Stan was the greatest ever for a long time in the '60s, and and he hasn't really. I mean, he. He's, in, he's not, he can't do it anymore, mm -hmm. you know. He's, and uh, he said, oh yeah, well he's, he, he's doing this great new thing for us. And I said, well, you know, will you tell me about it? He said, it's called Marvel 2099. Mm -hmm. I said, so it's like Marvel, only it's 100 years from And he said, yeah. And I said, so you can have a Spider-Man. And he said, yeah. I said, that's derivative, you're not creating anything. Mm -hmm. I said, it's, it's, it, that's all you guys do. It's like, you keep playing with the same toys. You know, yeah. you gotta, you, you're gonna have to create some. Oh, that's gonna be a big hit. Well, of course, like anything Marvel does, the first couple, and then it yeah, crashed and burned. Right. And uh, so predictable. Uh, but, but anyway, I mean that. that this, the stuff with Valiant and Defiant and Broadway was an attempt to get away from that, to create new properties. Create new. New stuff. Just, I just wanted right. to make a living. I just wanted to do it well. I just, you yeah. know. Oh, thank you.